Bridge the City. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas. My name is Benjamin Rangel. And I'm Kyle Hagee. And we're advocates for progress. And today, we have an emergency podcast. An emergency? Yes, an emergency. Is it that we passed This American Life on the podcast charts? It's not. <laughs> was our intro music nominated for a Grammy? It was not. Did President Obama agree to be on the pod? That will probably happen at a later date, but no. This emergency podcast is to alert everyone that there is actually a primary on February 20th here in Wisconsin. Oh, primary. Uh, well, what's it for? It is for the state Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court? There's one at the state level, too? There is one at the state level. Okay. And um, who's running? There's three candidates running. We got Judge Rebecca Dallet, Judge Michael Skrenek, and Attorney Tim Burns. You're telling me there's an election for the highest judicial seat in the state of Wisconsin? Yes. Well, we should definitely interview the people running for the seat. Well, that's why we call this emergency podcast, because we do, in fact, have one of the candidates running for this seat as an interviewee. Well, that's great news. Yes. Who is it that we're interviewing? Hi, Benjamin. It's Rebecca Dallet. How are you? Ah, Judge Dallet. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know our listeners will first want to know why you are running for state Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin. Um, Well, I am running for Supreme Court because our rights are under attack every day. All we have to do is turn on the news or look at the latest tweet, and things that we care about are being attacked. Um, We have to worry about clean air and water. We have to worry about equal protection under the law. We have workers' rights that have been diminished, and women are under attack. And we have a Supreme Court in our state that is broken. And what we need at this time, at this moment, is someone with values and experience to step up and repair that court. And I have been working in our courts for over two decades, first as a prosecutor, and now I've been a judge for almost a decade. Uh, really fighting for those rights, making sure justice is done every day. And I want to keep that up on our Wisconsin Supreme Court. So you mentioned your your values and your experience. Could you dive just a little deeper into uh, those two concepts on what made you want to become a prosecutor and now a judge? Was that something you always saw for yourself as a, from a young age or something that developed as you went through college? Well, I always cared about... Uh, public service and really helping people, making a difference in people's lives. And that was always a goal of mine and and something that's very fulfilling and I find very fulfilling every day. As far as being a judge, I actually had the experience when I was in school of participating in a, a government project where we were able to step into the roles of people in the court system, and I got to be the judge alongside a real judge and had the ability doing that to really see the impact and how meaningful it is to be the judge. And I I see that now every day. I mean, my decisions really make a difference in people's lives. And people are in court when they're at their most vulnerable. Most people don't want to be there unless they're getting married or adopting a baby. But other than that, they're there because something has happened to them or someone in their family, and they need someone looking out for them to make sure that they're heard and to also make sure justice is done. And 
Um, being a prosecutor was also a great job. You didn't believe it was right to continue prosecuting. You were, you could, dismiss, you should dismiss the case. And that's, I, I mean, that was a great place to really develop that sense of, of justice as well and to understand that prosecutors were all trying, to, they should be trying to achieve the same goals, which were trying to help society, trying to protect the community, but at the same time to really have larger conversations about how we can better, better help and serve our community. As a follow-up to that, most people, I guess, kind of know what goes on at the United States Supreme Court level and what a justice does at the United States Supreme Court. But uh, I'm assuming that some people may not even be aware that there is a state-level Supreme Court, and if they are, they're not really sure what a Supreme Court justice does. Could you walk us through what a day-to-day life of that position would look like? Yes. So we have three levels of courts in our system in Wisconsin. We have the trial courts. We're called circuit courts. We are in every county, with the exception, I think there's a couple counties where there's one judge that covers both counties. We do the day-to-day. Anyone that brings a case or has a case brought against them, whether it's criminal or civil, comes in front of a circuit court judge. That judge makes decisions on the case, and after those decisions are made, the person has a, a right to appeal their case to the court of appeals. An absolute right. So the Court of Appeals is the next level. They get every any case that's appealed, they have to consider it and decide what to do with it. From there, if your case is, uh, if you want to continue to appeal it or you're not satisfied with the, the decisions made by those lower courts, the Supreme Court is the, is the highest court in our state. They do You do not have a right to appeal in the sense that the Supreme Court doesn't take every case. They can't. There's only there's seven Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. They decide which cases to take based on a philosophy of what's going to affect the most people in the state. So they try to choose cases that are that are going to impact not just the litigants in front of them, but make greater law or at least clarify law for the rest of the state. And so they take about 50 to 60 cases a year right now. They used to take a little bit more. And those cases are, you know, cases that should be cases that are impacting more people. Um, The other thing the Supreme Court does is they have a rulemaking authority. And they make a lot of rules surrounding issues related to the courts. So they have a powerful ability as well to impact our courts and our justice system that way. Excellent. I think that will be uh, very clarifying for our listeners and also... Uh, a little bit for myself, too. Can I add something to that, yeah. too, so your, so your listeners understand why it's so important to, to vote for Supreme Court? It's because we really have three branches of government. We have our legislative branch that is writing the laws. We have our governor, who is the executive branch. And then we have our courts. And so the job of the court is to be a check on those other two branches. So when the legislature writes a law that infringes on someone's rights, it's the job of the Supreme Court, once that case gets to them, to to stop it. It's courts that is the check on those two branches. And so it's really important for people to care about the race. And I think sometimes people don't think that it's important. You know, you might hear about, obviously, I hope people vote for our president when that election comes up. Maybe you know about your local um, government official, whether that's at the local level or your state representative, but your Supreme Court is just as important, if not more important, because that is 
the place where if the other two violate your rights, the court is the one that steps up for you. Thank you for that added piece. Going off of that that idea that the court as a, as a check on the executive and the legislature, it's also, at least in my mind, philosophically, should be a little bit less partisan or completely nonpartisan relative to the other branches. And I'm curious as to what you think uh, the role of, uh, say, politics, uh, maybe from a philosophical level, but also from a practical level, should play on the court. Well, you're absolutely right. It is a nonpartisan office, and it's, it is important because our politics really dictate what the other two branches do, and it swings back and forth. But our court needs to be nonpartisan. It needs to be looking at the law in a way that is fair and, and just and interpreting our Constitution so that we can keep that ability to be fair. And I, I think the best example of that is really you can't a, – a justice, a Supreme Court justice, cannot take a position on issues that could come before the court. We're ethically bound not to as judges and candidates for judge and justice, but also from the perspective of wanting to get a fair shake. If you think about you coming in front of the court, you want to get a fair shake on whatever case it is. You want the court to really be able to give you that. And you don't want to feel like when you walked into that court, the court had already made up its mind. Um, it's part of the problem with what's been going on. In our courtrooms, with special interest money pouring into our state and for our Supreme Court, and with justices then rendering decisions that are end result driven and seem to be protecting political allies as opposed to really the rights of the people in our state. And so it's really important that we maintain that. Now, I think that just uh, candidates can still talk about what's important to them and talk about their values because people do want to know that, and that's something that I have been sharing. You know, I care about a lot of the things that make Wisconsin great, our clean air and water, our great public schools and universities, uh, equal protection under the law, um, you know, women's rights. These are all the things, workers' rights and the ability to organize. Those are important things to me, and I have no problem sharing those, but it's different to share values than it is to really take positions on cases and to try to drive this into a partisan context when we need to maintain nonpartisan qualities as a Supreme Court justice. So you said you can't take stances on issues, but you have to let your values kind of lead the way. How do you differentiate yourself from the other candidates then? Do you feel that um, they're espousing values that you don't stand behind? What makes you stand out from the crowd for this Wisconsin Supreme Court seat? Well, there are two other people running for this seat. Uh, one of them is Judge Scrinnock from Sauk County. Mm -hmm. He worked on behalf of Governor Walker. He worked on behalf of the Republican Party. He was appointed to be a judge a very short time ago. And he has made statements that he is going to be just like Justice Gableman, who refused to step off of a case where special interest money, $2.25 million, had been spent on his campaign, mm. and who ran one of the most unethical campaigns for Supreme Court, and who really uh, was looking out for his political allies instead of looking out for the people of our state. Um, in addition, Judge Scrinnock is extremist in his views. He blocked access to women's health care clinics 
on two occasions and actually had to be carried away from those clinics and is not apologizing for that behavior at this point in time. So I think that he is taking one extremist view and that he will be someone that is just out to protect his political allies, um, the governor and the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. On the other, uh, the other person who is running is an, as an attorney, his name is Tim Burns, and he is uh, in the Madison area. And while Mr. Burns and I share the same values, he does not have the experience that we need to, to really make the changes we need on that court. Um, he has not practiced very often in a Wisconsin courtroom. We're not sure exactly what kind of cases he's had because he won't tell anyone. We know that he's a corporate attorney. He works on behalf of large corporations all over the country and has only worked for big law firms um, working for corporations. And don't believe that he's spent very much time at all in Wisconsin courtrooms. He's not a judge. And he has said himself that he has very little criminal justice experience. And there's just too much at stake for us to have someone without the experience we need to change the policies and to make sure that our rights are protected on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, Thank you so much for that response. Uh, One particular policy and case that has brought a lot of national attention to Wisconsin has been the the case on gerrymandering that's actually in the Supreme Court now. But would you mind just talking a little bit about, um, if you're able, about your position on, on the gerrymandering case? Sure. We should be, first of all, making making it easier for people to participate in the voting process, not harder. Um, voting is one of the most important rights that we have in this country. And I know we don't have such a good turnout for these elections, unfortunately. Supreme Court primary was 8% in 2016. 8%. 8% of people voted in the most recent Supreme Court primary. Yeah, and this number was shocking to me. Across the board in the United States, we have very low voter turnout compared to other democracies. We have to take a long, hard look in the mirror if we're going to call ourselves a democracy, but only 8% or 40% or 60% of people are participating. Are we really electing people that represent all of us, or are we only electing people that represent the 8% of people showing up to the polls? I also want to take note that a lot of people do want to vote, but because of certain restrictions and laws, there's lots of obstacles for them actually being able to express their vote. Yeah, and just echoing how surprising that number is. If anything, I hope listening to this and discovering that less than 10% of the people are going to have a huge impact on deciding the next Supreme Court justice in the state of Wisconsin, I hope that number sticks out to you and it motivates you all to get to the polls on February 20th. But we we need to make sure that people are able to exercise their rights and that we not put limitations on it. Because it's really your ability when you vote to change your world. That's your opportunity to do that. And when we look at gerrymandering in particular, what we see is power trying to continue to be in power. And it has happened in states where there's Democrats in power and states where there's Republicans in power. So it's something that happens all over our country, and it's something that has to stop. You would think, looking at a map, you would just draw lines where people live, right? So if you lived in one 
city or one village, that would be your district. Well, what gerrymandering has done is as the party gets in power, they're allowed to redraw the lines every two years. And when they redraw the lines, they've done it in a way with a computer, very specialized, so that they can figure out who votes which way from which household. And so if you live on a street and the party in power wants to make sure to dilute a certain vote, whether, you know, let's say the party in power is Republican and they want to dilute the Democratic vote, they're going to put all the Democratic houses together in order to dilute that vote. And they would only get a certain amount of representatives when they can spread out the rest of the Republican vote into other districts to increase the amount of Republicans that get elected in those districts. And so it's come down to even taking out one house in between two other houses. And in, I think it was North Carolina, they did a, a 5K run, a gerrymandering run, <laughs> where people drew, ran the line. <laughs> and I'm sure it was crazy. that You were running up and down and back and forth. And that's what it's come to. But I think at the heart of it, even if you just simplify it, it's about power. It's about power, just trying to stay in power. And it's something that we have got to stop. And that's a perfect example of why our courts matter. Yeah. Because the U.S. Supreme Court has that case, and they have the ability to say no more. They've never said it with gerrymandering. They've always they've done it with racial gerrymandering, where they said you can't divide districts by race. But they've never done it along political lines. But I think it's gotten so bad that they're going to finally say enough. That you can't power cannot just continue to beget power and to and to keep just to stay in control while taking away people's votes essentially. Um, it takes away the power of the of the individual's vote. So just recently, the Supreme Court ordered one state, uh, Pennsylvania, that they, in fact, drew their districts so gerrymandered that they had to redraw them before the upcoming midterms in 2018. So, I mean, we bring this up mainly to point out the fact that when cases like gerrymandering reach the Supreme Court, whether it's at the state level or at the national level, they have huge ripple effects on the election process or just on policies and legislation in general. Depending on how they rule, it could affect the way districts are drawn for the rest of our foreseeable future. So, yeah, it's important. It's relevant. The one thing I will note, too, is a lot of people assume that their elected representative is their state senator or state representative or senators and representatives at the federal level. We don't often think of a justice as representing us, but I think cases of gerrymandering, it's obvious how important these justices end up. Electing good quality, unbiased, nonpartisan judges to the state Supreme Courts are very important for the protection of voting rights. It's something I can't speak for everyone in, of my generation, but um, young people especially are just sort of taken aback whenever they hear about gerrymandering and the effects it has on actual representation. My next question has to do with sort of throughout your entire career in law, uh, what is your uh, most proud accomplishment? I'm proud of a lot of things. I'm proud of the work I do every day and the work I can do on each case every day. But you know what? I'll tell you about my favorite moment as a judge. My favorite moment as a judge was the day that uh, Judge Barbara Crabb upheld marriage equality for our state. And I was coming back from a trip with my family. It was a weekend day, and I can't remember if it was a Saturday or Sunday. But I had just heard the news, and I had heard that we opened up our courthouse in Milwaukee County to allow people to get married and the judges were coming down to do uh, weddings and to marry people who had been, some of them had been living together for decades and had never been able to be married. And I raced home, grabbed my robe 
headed down to the courthouse, and I was able to perform three different marriage ceremonies. And actually, one of the ceremonies I performed was of a couple, two women who had been together for decades Mm. and had never been able to be married. And I was able to marry them, and really it was a momentous day and a day that I will always remember. That's really lovely and a touching story. And I think you've made it really clear how the court affects a lot of different facets in our life, which I really appreciate uh, that news getting out to our listeners. Uh, the next question I want to ask is, as we alluded to before, the, the primary is coming up here February 20th. If people are uh, listening to this and, and are like, Judge Dallet is awesome, I really want to support her, how would they, how would they do that? Do you have a, an office in Milwaukee that can coordinate campaigning, door knocking? How are you asking people to get involved? So here's what you can do if you think I'm awesome. <laughs> First of all, my website is DallasForJustice.com. So D-A-L-L-E-T-F-O-R-J-U-S-T-I-C-E.com. And you can go on there. You can read more about me, um, talk about ways to support the campaign, volunteering, or other ways. And that's fantastic. Uh, the other thing, though, especially for young people, is to make sure that you know how to vote and where to vote, because sometimes students don't know how to go about getting an absentee ballot. So the website for voting in Wisconsin is myvote.wi.gov, and there you can find all the information about where you vote and how to get an absentee ballot if you're not at home. Excellent. Yeah, we've promoted that website on the podcast often. I'm hopeful that more people are registered to vote and prepared to bump up that 8% number. Yeah, I mean, that number alone is is very shocking. Um, just knowing how sort of partisan the, this is just a tangent, not really a question, but <laughs> uh, just knowing how partisan the, the court has become at the state level, and it's like, eight percent of people are, are making those decisions sometimes, because I mean, the, it's, it is the primary. There's obviously the election in April as well, but primary narrows the field and really has an effect on who ends up in office. So, yeah, we're hoping to help out as much as we can. And hopefully this interview, you know, influences some people to, to show up and exercise their right. Only other comment that I would make, which I think is noteworthy, is really the time that we're also in now with um, women, especially women being able to stand up and talk about harassment and abuse throughout their lives and feeling safe enough to do that at this point in time. Something I have done as a prosecutor and a judge has really been to empower women. Um, I worked on domestic violence cases and child abuse and well, sexual assault cases, both as a prosecutor and as a judge and really want to continue to empower women and encourage women to step up and run for office. And I have three girls, and so I care about them being able to make a difference and have an equal playing field as well. Um, and it's noteworthy that we still, in our state, only one in five of our judges statewide are women. So it's something that we do need to be be aware of and um, hopefully encourage more women to participate in our process and to hopefully uh, elect more women judges to really make sure that we support women and, and make sure that those issues that affect us and everyone, that we, that we create a, a level playing field. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself or, you know, a better way to finish the, the episode. It's, um, 
truly important and, and again we thank you so much for your time and yeah thank you for being for having these discussions i think it's really important and i appreciate that you're have, that you have this podcast i hope i hope that people will listen and and will participate in our in our election process and of course i hope they'll vote for me too What really stood out to me in our interview with Judge Jallet was her experience in the courtroom. She has a ton of time to spend either on the bench as a judge or prosecutor. What about you, Kyle? The thing I took away the most from our interview with Judge Jallet was when she talked about how the Supreme Court is there for you when the other branches fail you. And it's the stopgap of the political system. When people look out at the political system now, they see a lot of distress. They see a lot of dysfunction. They don't think that it's working too smoothly. We have a lot of really important cases that stem from this dysfunction coming up to the Supreme Court. And the way they vote is going to dictate how our country operates for the foreseeable future. And it's really important that we have a Supreme Court to make sure that the executive branch and the legislative branch can't just do whatever they want. But it's also really important that we elect really great judges to these positions. Yeah. And in my eyes, a really great judge has a passion for justice. And I think that really stood out in our interview with Judge Dallet is that she, um, her origin in law, it's not about her expressing her own views or, or getting her opinions uh, across, but really it was ensuring that people receive justice. Also, it's really refreshing in today's climate where a lot of candidates that run are extremely political. The populace is polarized. You hear that often. It seems like everything is political nowadays. Even the NFL can be. That it's really refreshing to see someone running for office that isn't partisan. Doesn't seem like she is super one way, super the other way. She is very firm. She seems like she actually takes time to consider what's in front of her and uh, make a decision that's fair and nonpartisan. That's also something that we should value in the Supreme Court is that it can withstand the polarization that these other branches have fallen into as of late. Stemming off of that idea of what is just, what is right, is her passion for women's rights. This is something she emphasized throughout the interview and in in her final point, she wanted to be sure that she um, expressed that particularly in today's climate, where it is clear we live in a society that's dominated by misogyny and behavior that, that should be intolerable exists. And Judge Dallet understands that. And remember at Bridge the City, sound bites are not solutions. That means don't just listen to this, get some good quotes out of it, and then go on about your day. This is a podcast of action. She recommended checking out myvote.wi.gov, myvote.we.gov, to see if you're registered to vote. You can go on that website, you type in your address, it will tell you if you're registered to vote. If you are registered to vote, it's going to tell you your polling place, show up February 20th. If you're not registered to vote, Wisconsin is a same-day registration state, meaning you can get registered to vote and then vote on the day of the primary. So on February 20th, even if you're not registered to vote, go to your polling place. You have to bring a form of identification and a bill, a credit card statement, a bank statement that indicates that you live at the address that you're telling people you live at. And these instructions are on myvote.we.gov as well. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode on a series of episodes 
surrounding upcoming elections. We want to thank Rebecca Dallet for coming on the podcast and making time for us. At Bridge the City, our mission is to bridge together ideas. And so this is not an endorsement of, of any candidate, but we hope that you listen, you are informed or more informed now. And we reached out to the other candidates and hopefully we'll have them on the podcast as well before the primary. If you want to help out Bridge the City, the best thing you can do is to rate and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bridge the City Podcast. You can email us at bridgethecitypodcast.gmail.com or you can check out our website at www.bridgethecitypodcast.squarespace.com. Please reach out and tell us how you are helping Bridge the City. We'll see you next time. Bridge the City.